So I've never used this mic before. Is it coming through? Yes? No? I'm getting shakes? Yes. Ha-ha. Wonderful. Um, good morning. Uh, my name is Chris. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the elders here at Cornerstone. I've been coming to Cornerstone for the last uh, nine or ten years. Um, the, the normal teaching pastor is Tony Hall, so if this is your first time and you're like, who is this guy? He's not the guy I saw on the website. It's right, I'm not. Um, Tony is with his parents uh, who are struggling with COVID right now, so be praying for them. Um, but I'm married to Amanda. We have three kids, Luca, Izzy, and Joya. Um, and it's a joy to be with you guys this morning. Um, so this is my first sermon in front of a church. Uh, I have shared many times uh, about times when I was a missionary in Italy. I have talked to youth group, but I've never quote-unquote preached a sermon. So please don't expect a professional up here. Um, Brandon had many years of experience. When he was up here last week, this is the opposite. Um, but it's kind of what we're talking about today. Um, in doing what we, what we can with what God has given us. Um, so I'm excited to be with you, and hopefully um, you hear something from the Lord today and what you hear from me. Hopefully when you walk out the doors, you forget that. Um, although if you hear things from me that you're like, ah, I kind of need to correct him on that, I'll accept that. You can come up to me afterwards and, and tell me about areas that I'm wrong, and I'm okay with that. Um, so that being said, let's ask uh, God's help, because I need it. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you um, that we have the privilege of gathering together as your family. Um, thank you for your word that you instruct us in. Um, thank you for my brothers and sisters here and the encouragement that they are. Uh, thank you for the breath in our lungs, Lord, that we can, we can praise you with. Um, teach us today, God. Help us listen to you. We love you, Lord. Amen. So the context of what we're reading today, we're going to be in Matthew 25, 14 through 30. And the context of that is the same context as the last three or four sermons that Tony preached. Um, Jesus in the, is in the last week of his life before he goes to the cross to suffer and die in our place and then to rise and conquer sin and death forever. Um, and so he's teaching some last lessons to the disciples. And he's, he's talking about the end, what will happen at the end before he returns again. And they don't get it. Uh, their actions after his death on the cross show really clearly that they don't get what he is teaching them about, but at the same time, they don't have the benefit that we have of being able to see the big picture. Um, so let's read Matthew 25, 14 through 30, um, and try to grasp what, teaches, what Jesus is teaching them and, and us in this passage. Um, so if you could stand with me, um, we'll read that together. Matthew 25, 14 through 30. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to, to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground... <coughs> and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, 
the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made you five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I've made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sowed and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested the money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worth, worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You guys can be seated. Pray. Dear God, thank you. Uh, thanks for teaching us. Thank you for these parables. Help us learn from you. So the parable starts out saying, for it is like. And the it that it's referring to is the kingdom of heaven. That's what he was just teaching them about in the prior parable. Um, the lesson Jesus is teaching here in, in this sermon, if you will, that he's, he's teaching to his disciples, I sometimes don't understand completely. Matthew 24 is, is kind of a confusing book for me. Um, and it's been really helpful to hear Tony break it down and, and to read some commentaries on it. Um, but I don't know what the timeline looks like of Jesus coming back. Um, but what I do see is the common themes that he teaches on, of themes of the kingdom of heaven, of being ready, of being prepared. Um, so that's what we're going to focus on here today um, as we approach this parable. So if we break it down verse by verse, you'll notice that he first gave them to each according to his ability. So some things to notice here. The master, who, who's a pretty clear representation of God, um, is giving his things to the servants. They're not the servants' things. He's giving his things to the servants. Um, the things that God gives us, they're not ours to own. It's something to care for and to steward. Uh, the possessions are not his servants. Um, I'm a financial advisor, and it's like a client coming to me with their, their retirement portfolio and saying, hey, uh, here, can you invest this money for me? I don't get to say, sweet, I have all this money that's mine. Um, no, the money's not mine. It's the client's. And the client expects me to get a return for them. The master in this is the same way. He's, he's entrusting something to them, saying, hey, Make a return for me. Um, and he gives them according to his ability, according to their ability. I never actually realized this before I was listening to, to this passage a couple weeks ago. Um, I was listening to it on the Streetlights Bible. If, if you sometimes have a hard time listening to music, the Streetlights Bible puts it over, or listening to, to the Bible being read, it puts it over music. It's really helpful. It just changes the context a bit for me. Um, and so it was the first time I noticed this, that he gives them according to their ability. Um, so what that says to me is he didn't give them 
more than they could handle. It would have been cruel to give the guy with very little ability a lot to handle. That, that, that would not have been a kindness of the master. Um, and in the same way, it would have been wasteful to give the guy with a lot of ability just something tiny. It would have been wasteful. He had a lot of talent. Give him a lot. Um, and the master knew his servant, and he apportioned it appropriately. Um, so if we zoom out of this passage and we think about God, it makes me think about how graciously and generously and knowingly God gives to us, even when he knows we're not going to handle it perfectly. Um, in this story, a talent was likely worth 20 years' wages for a day laborer. That's, that's a lot of money. Um, and the master gives that to his servant to put to use. It makes me think of it, God's generosity. Even if you think about Jesus, Jesus spent three years pouring into Judas. Right? He knew Judas was going to ultimately betray him. But he poured into Judas generously. So there's, there's some aspect of free will here uh, that, that honestly I, I don't totally understand. Um, why would God give when he knows we're just going to squander it? But he gives it to us and he doesn't force it, us to handle it in any certain way. He's, he's still generous. Um, so if you think about what has God given you to steward? Um, has he blessed you with money? Are you using it for his glory or your own? Does the Lord even cross your mind when you think about spending money? Has he blessed you with good health? How are you serving him with that good health? Perhaps you haven't been blessed with good health. Um, I think about my grandma who, um, my grandfather died about five years before my grandma did. Um, she was, I think, 90 when my grandfather died. Um, and we all thought my grandma would die within a month or two of my grandpa because they had been married 60-some years. Um, and she wasn't in great health. And she just wanted to die and go home to be with the Lord and, and to be with her husband. Um, but that wasn't what God had for her. She had another five years of life left. And I remember her saying something to the effect of, well, the Lord has me here for a reason, so maybe it's just to pray for my grandkids. And that's what she did. She, she prayed faithfully for her grandkids. So if you don't have good health, maybe, maybe you're not physically able to move around um, like you used to be, are you growing in your faith? Are you encouraging others? Are you praying for others? Um, are you using that gift that you may not see as a gift for the Lord? Maybe you're a natural-born leader or a gifted writer, or maybe you're introverted and the thought of communicating with others is terrifying. <laughs> it's not an excuse. God doesn't value one talent over another. He only cares about the faithfulness that we use what he's given us. So if we think about that, um, the first, in the parable, the first two get to work, right? They double the money, which is pretty impressive. I don't know what the timeline was, but they double the money. That took work and effort and time and labor. Um, and the master, when he eventually returns, you'll notice that he doesn't get excited about the amount. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. He cares about their faithfulness. Charles Spurgeon puts it like this, it's not, well done, thou good and brilliant servant, for perhaps the man never shone at all in the eyes of those who appreciate glare and glitter. It's not, well done, thou great and distinguished servant, for it's possible that he was never known beyond his native village. The response was the same for both servants, both the one who earned five and the one who earned two. It was, well done, thou good and faithful servant. 
But the third servant responds differently. In a couple translations I read, um, he says, I was afraid I would lose your money. Or I was afraid I might disappoint you. He starts blaming the master, putting it back on him. It reminds me of Adam and Eve when, when, when God confronted Adam and Eve in the garden. Um, the first thing they do is start blaming somebody else. It wasn't me, it was him. It, was, it wasn't me, it was the serpent. Um, it reminds me of my kids. When they get caught doing something wrong, it's immediately, well, she hit me first or, you know, it, it, it deserved this. And, and if I'm honest, it reminds me of myself. A blame shift. Um, tell me if you can identify with this. Where, where you come home and, it, and it's, I'm sorry I snapped at you, I was tired. Or it, it was a long day at work, or the kids were driving me nuts. I'm, I'm so, instead of just, I'm sorry I snapped at you, I was wrong. Do you blame shift? This guy did. And the third servant didn't know his master, so he, he blame shifts onto the master. He says, I knew you were a hard man. John 10, 27 says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Do you know the master? Do you know what his character is like? Jesus demands our lives. He says, whoever must come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. But he also says, come to me, all you who labor and are weary, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you know the master? Perhaps you, you know one characteristic of the master. Perhaps you grew up in, in church and in, in, in where, wherever you grew up, it focused in on, on one aspect of God. But do you truly know, know the Lord? The parable suggests that how much we know the master impacts how we act. So this guy doesn't know the master. He doesn't understand that, that yes, the master might be a hard and demanding master, but he is also a master who rewards faithfulness. And he doesn't, he doesn't know him. And as a result, he, he plays it safe. Or he plays it lazy, depending on your point of view. I mean, that's certainly what the master says. Um, he does nothing and is judged for it. In finance, the one way to guarantee that you're going to lose is to do nothing and sit in cash. Just, just be safe. Don't even earn interest. Because inflation's going to cause your money to just lose value. Right? That's what this guy did. He, he buried it in a hole. Suppose it was safe, but it wasn't what he was entrusted with it to do. Um, Matthew Poole is a commentator in the, it's the 15th or 16th century, and he says, those who don't work for the Lord or pray or don't evangelize because God is sovereign, they condemn themselves by their laziness, by their actions or lack of actions. They show that they are like the wicked servant in the parable. They do not know their master's heart at all. The Lord of the unprofitable servant tells him that the fault lay in his sloth and wickedness, and his dread of the Lord's security was but a mere frivolous pretense, an unreasonable excuse. Brandon preached last week about a call to evangelism if we know the master. The Lord is the living water that, that if we've drunk of the living water, it will spring up a well within us. Um, it's his call when we arrive at the end of Matthew, to, to go therefore and make disciples. It's not a call just to sit back and be blessed. That's not what the Lord is calling us to. We're blessed to be a blessing, just like in Abraham and Genesis. He was blessed to be a blessing. Um, the 
steal another Spurgeon quote in thinking about the servant's ability and his laziness. Um, he says, if we cannot trade directly or personally on our Lord's account, if we have not the skill nor the tact to manage a society or an enterprise for him, we may at least contribute to what others are doing, to join our capital to theirs, so that by some means our master may have the interest to which he is entitled. We're called to action according to our ability. Inaction results in judgment. The master says, take the talent and give to the one who has ten. The talent was never any of the servants to start with. It, it, this wasn't a spiteful thing for the master. The master said, no, this guy who has ten, he showed that he can manage my, my money. Take and give to the guy who's, who's responsible. It, was, it wasn't a spiteful thing. It was never any of the servants to start with. It wasn't the guy with five. It wasn't the guy with two. It wasn't the guy with one. It's like the parable of the workers in the vineyard in, in Matthew 20, um, where he, the, the vineyard, the, the, the uh, owner of the vineyard hires workers, and he's very generous with the ones at the end. The ones at the beginning get, get a little salty because they're like, hey, that guy only worked an hour, and you paid him a denarius. Why aren't you paying me more? And he says, don't, don't I have the right to do with what is mine? The initial talent whether it's, if you're thinking about your own life, whether it's money, whether it's actual talents or abilities, it, it's not ours, and the growth is simply us using what we've been given. We don't deserve that either. We get to participate in it, which is a blast, but we don't own it, and we don't deserve to own it. It's funny, so sometimes the world understands this better than us Christians do. Um, let me see if you can finish this quote. Jimmy, I'm going to ask you. With great power comes great responsibility, right? If Spider-Man can figure out that he's been given a gift and he needs to use it, we should be able to figure out the same thing, right? We have the words of life, and so we should steward that with responsibility and with care and thoughtfulness. There's a tension of grace and works here. The servants deserve nothing. It was all a gift from the master, yet they're held accountable for their actions, we deserve nothing from Jesus. It's all a gift. It's adoption into his family. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of works. And yet, there is a reality in Scripture. In Matthew 16, 27, it says, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. 2 Corinthians 5, 10 says, for we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive what we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15 says, but each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light it will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss and yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Romans 14, 12. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. It's really clear. There's eternal consequences for our actions here. Um, the works are not a saving fact that detracts from grace. It's not that at all. Clearly what we do matters, 
and it reflects our internal beliefs about the master. So are you ready for the master's return? He's coming. We don't know when. Matthew 24 talks a couple of times about not knowing the day or the hour. It's what this past parable um, has been focusing on about being prepared even though you don't know when the, the, the bridegroom was coming. Um, when Jesus repeats something over and over, it's probably something we should pay attention to. So what happens to the third guy, the one who sat on his hands and did nothing? He dug a hole and he buried it. Um, he was thrown into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. If we're taking this to mean as I think it's meant to be taken, I think it says really clearly that if we don't know the master and as a result we do nothing with what we've been given, then we won't be spending an eternity with the Lord. That's sobering. It's not about how much we do. This verse made me think of earlier in Matthew 7 where, where some say, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we heal the sick in your name? And Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me. It's not about what we do. It's so clearly not a works-based evaluation. But it's also clear that no works says something about the condition of our heart. This should make us pause. It should make us introspect to look at our lives. At the beginning of the year, it's often a time to, to stop and reflect and make resolutions. Um, and I encourage you, as you think about this passage, take it as an opportunity to pause and reflect. Um, it was really fun for me to, to, to think about ways that I see or hear about people in this body of believers investing their talents. Um, so I'm going to just read through a list of things that I, I was thinking, thinking through, just so you can see a variety of ways that people are investing their talents for the master. I see those who are teaching the kids. I see those who lead youth groups. I see those that meet and pray for the body. People managing tech. I see those who teach. I see the giving financially. I don't know how much anybody gives. But I see our budget, and so I know people are giving. I know many of you support missionaries apart from Cornerstone. I see believers in this body that have gone overseas to tell those across the ocean about Jesus. And I see people in this body that are telling their neighbor across the street about Jesus. I see you working with exchange students. I see you working jobs for the glory of God. I see discipleship. I see those who mow the church lawn, who rake leaves. Uh, I saw Mike Rebel this morning cleaning off the steps. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate that. Um, I see random text messages of encouragement and life group leaders opening their homes for hospitality. I see random lunches. The, the point is, this list could keep going. There is never an excuse to bury your talent in the ground. There is never an excuse to not do anything with what God has given you. He isn't asking you to give millions, or maybe he is, I don't know. Uh, he's not asking you to preach sermons or do public works for the Lord, but he has given you talents. What are you going to do with it? So, as we finish out here, I often can listen to Tony preach a sermon and walk out the door, and the chaos of life happens, and I forget what, what I've been what God's been trying to teach me. 
Um, so I want to take just five minutes here, um, and there's four questions that may, or yeah, perfect, um, that are going to be up on the screen, and, and so I want to read those to you, and this is your permission in church to pull out your phone and make notes, or get a piece of paper, or do something to think through this and, and actually take action on it. Um, so the first question is, do you have a full picture of the master? Do you know the master? What has God given to me that he intends that I use for him? What specific actions will you take in the coming weeks or months that will be stepping out in faith to use what he has entrusted to you? Like, think through specifics. And, and with those two questions, I, I want to challenge you to tell someone. If it's just in your head or just a note on your phone, um, odds are you might not take action on it. Tell someone. Have someone hold you accountable to it. And comparison can be the thief of joy. Um, have you been guilty of comparing and seeing what you don't have rather than what you do have to use? Some examples I thought of that I have felt is I can't preach like Tony, or I'm not retired with time on my hands, or I have young kids so I don't have free time. Those are excuses. It's not looking at what God has given me and what I can use. So have you, been, have you looked at what you don't have rather than what you do have? Um, take this time to confess and ask God to change your heart. After five minutes, and Andrew's going to play some music for us while, while we're thinking and praying through this. Uh, we'll close in prayer, and Andy will come and, and lead us in communion.